my cousin works for. Why, the, you're a big cusser, though. I don't get that about my you. My dad was a sailor. He was a sailor. Stop blaming the, people he, my, in the military for the way that you are. Yeah, and your grandpa was in the Air Force, and you can't yeah. pee. Get over it. Move on. Jeez. <laughs> Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to the debrief. Okay, this is uh, episode 20. The We're closing out the book of Luke. I thought we were going to have some fanfare in here, the, fa- the fake applause. Kelly, can we, can we try that again? Yes. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to The Debrief, a weekly Q&A podcast from your friends here at Sandals Church. It's episode 20. We are closing out the book of Luke, and we are so excited to have all of this incredible love coming straight at us from you guys. It feels so genuine, so real, so authentic, just like your friends over here at Sandals Church. I am Justin Party, the king of enthusiasm today for episode 20. I am Stephanie Keenan. I'm basking in the glow of uh, fake applause right now. <laughs> yes, that's right. And, and the uh, the man in the gold corner uh, <laughs> in, in his robes is Pastor Matt Brown. How are you yeah. feeling, buddy? Good. Cheerleader for Jesus. Dude, episode mm. 20. We're closing out the entire book of Luke through podcast form. As you look back on that, do you feel like a... Uh, a champion. Champion. Yeah. No, it's incredible. I'm really, really excited about uh, just how I've grown. We've all grown. It's been awesome. I do like that you said yes. I feel like a champion. I like that. <laughs> that was great. Uh, me too, man. And you should because listen, we got some some of my all time favorite reviews are coming in here first uh, this week. Listen, those of you guys that are listening, uh, your reviews coming in on the iTunes stores make us so happy. We got 177 mm-hmm. reviews, 176 five star reviews, and that one little four star. Uh, we love having you guys uh, bring the encouragement in those reviews. Definitely help friends find the podcast in the store. Listen, I have no idea how to share your name. Hilbilriatza, uh, but her she, her review says this: five stars, helpful. I love the debrief. It is awesome to get the laughs from Matt and Justin, just like you get during Matt's sermons. Uh, so I thought that was really cool news. I don't know if you want me ever to just like sit there during the back of your sermons, just on a stool saying witty remarks. We should, I think we could maybe just try that. Or out just laughing. Weekend. Yeah. Or just even laugh. just, even just laughing at your jokes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Leading I love your jokes, by the way. Thank just you. Kind of here. Uh, and then we got one more uh, excellent review from Rhea Bermudez, who says, shout out to Stephanie for Hey-o. the ladies with two exclamation points. That's how you know that that review oh, yeah. is for the ladies. In, in girl code, that is like all the praise. <laughs> That's exactly. Uh, thank you for putting our ties to good use with the podcast. It's so informative, creative, and funny to help captivate and keep one's attention about the Bible. You're welcome for putting your ties to good use. And we'd also like to put your t-shirt dollars to good use too, if you want to help us out and get one of those. That'd be awesome. And then she says, Shout out to Stephanie for dropping the Beyonce quotes. Thank you for not pretending like you're only supposed to listen to Christian music. Keeping it real helps expand the groups of people y'all get to connect with. You go, girl. Mm, you are welcome. I will listen to Beyonce any day for you. So yeah, I don't. I did not plan this at all. But when I said "you go, girl," like my neck kind of did that it's, thing. It's actually an involuntary motion. Anytime you say that phrase, I think it's bred into us. Yeah, it just literally happened. I felt very <laughs> weird about it because I was looking at you, Pastor Matt. Yeah, I feel I, it felt weird. For me <laughs> yeah, it was so strange. Okay, hey, listen, we do appreciate those reviews and we love that you guys are finding encouragement here's the deal i'm gonna ask you guys a favor we're about ready to jump in the q a stuff here as we do that would you just do me a favor this week can you find one person in your life i don't know if it's your mom your grandma your neighbor your kid or your community group member that needs to be listening to the debrief and will you show them how to get subscribed uh, so that they can start listening to the show with us every single week 
who knows, they might want to go back and take it from the top so that they can arrive here, episode 20, feeling as celebratory as we do. Man, it'd mean the world for us if you would go out there and help somebody get subscribed. So, hey, every every uh, episode we take your questions coming in from the sermons here or from stuff that you've been reading as we have been going through the book of Luke together as a church this year. So today we are closing out the book of Luke in Luke chapter 24. But first, we've got one follow-up question that we'll jump right into. And this question comes from Andrew, and he says, In this week's sermon, you described angels as scary and bad I almost died, and someone who I thought was an angel was with me, but it was not scary. I felt at peace and was no longer in pain until it left me. After this experience, I believed in God and became a Christian. Can you explain who was with me if it wasn't an angel? I never passed out or went to sleep, so it wasn't a dream. Yeah, right. So, I mean, again, sometimes I I make a big point to try to push people in a different direction. Angels can uh, be ministers. Uh, They minister to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. They're not scary in those moments. They can be comforting. Um, They can appear in the way in which we need. However, the usual way in which they appear is frightening to people because they're seeing something that's beyond their comprehension. So, Mm -hmm. praise God, you know, I'm going to say that that probably was an angel. I'm really, really glad that uh, you had that experience. That's awesome and wonderful. But the but most of the angel encounters in the Bible are not what you experience. They are intense, they're powerful, and they're frightening. And usually angels interact with people with these words, do not be afraid, okay? And they wouldn't say that if they weren't frightening. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, so I, I, I'm not gonna say that, you know, his encounter wasn't an angel and I'm glad for it. And that's amazing. And it brought you to Jesus. And so, you know, that's what angels exist for, to tell us the word of God. They are messengers. That's what the word angelos in Greek means. It means messenger. So that's awesome. It's a new fact. Well, thanks for writing in, Andrew. Super appreciate that. We got some other cool questions, but they are going to be spread out throughout chapter 24 from the book of Luke. So let's get right into it, man. We were talking about the resurrection and um, that is what's going on there in verses four through five. We got our first question here. This is the women who were going there to see Jesus on the morning of his resurrection. They went to the tomb and they stood there puzzled. Two men suddenly appeared to them clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, why are you looking around among the dead for someone who is alive. So speaking of angels, later on the chapter 24 of Luke, people actually describe these men as angels. Were these guys angels, like the passage says, or were they men? Uh, Well, yeah. So what I think Luke is trying to teach us is that all of the followers of Jesus are progressively learning about the reality of who Jesus was. And so what they first think is that men, they later realize those were angels. And so they are in a state of unbelief, moving towards belief. And so, you know, Luke is trying to point us out that all people, right? I mean, he writes this letter to Theophilus so that you can know the things that you have believed are true. And so he's trying to move us all from a point of unbelief to belief. And so we see this throughout the scriptures as people are trying to figure out in Luke who Jesus is. And so the women are, are, are trying to figure this out. So the women, the men on the road to Emmaus, and even the disciples, they're all trying to figure out who is Jesus. And so what at first seems to be men, they realize, oh my gosh, these are angels. And so all throughout the text, they are referred to, the two men are referred to as angels. And so that's one of the things, you know, we talked about the differences in the four accounts. Matthew and Mark say one angel, um, Luke says two, and I believe John says two as well. Okay. And so the reality is we can't, you know, there's no way to mathematically make those the same. What I said on um 
on the weekend messages was, you know, during times of complete excitement, the details, you know, may be a little fuzzy on the numbers of things or who was first, who was second, who was third. But ultimately, there was an angel, one or two or more, you know, we don't know. Uh, The scriptures say there was at least one there, all four gospels, two of the gospels say two, spoke to the women at the tomb and said, why do you look for the living amongst the dead? So... And the reason is they don't know he's he's alive. They think yeah. he's dead. Yeah, yeah. So, but they are angels, and that is through that is told all throughout Luke twenty four. We're told over and over again: these are angels. They're angels. They're angels. Got okay. it. So Debbie actually sent in a question about this same moment, but from what happens in John chapter twenty, and in the verse there, Jesus is talking to Mary Magdalene, and what I loved it about what you said in your sermon this week, it's like Mary Magdalene was one of the first people to see Jesus, and she was one of the most broken followers of him. Right. And so John twenty has this goes over an interaction between Jesus and Mary. And Jesus says to her, do not hold on to me for I have not yet ascended to the father. And Debbie's question is, why did Jesus tell Mary Magdalene not to hold on to him? But later Thomas could touch him and actually put his hand into Jesus's side. Right. Yeah. And I think that there's, there's a couple things going on there. Mary is not trying to believe in who Jesus is. She believes and she's holding on to him and she's grabbing onto him and she doesn't want to let him go. And so I, I, you know, hmm. he's telling Thomas and the disciples to touch him because they're still non-believers. Mary believes she knows it's Jesus. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the purpose of touching uh, for the disciples is to move them to a place of faith. Jesus is telling Mary, "You got to let me go because I need to ascend to the Father." And, you know, I mean, really, the word "cling" there in uh, the Greek is is she like tackled him. So he's like, "Mary, calm down." You know, she's super excited because what she thought was lost is now alive, and she's just overwhelmed. There may be also some you know, cultural things there. It's inappropriate for non-married men and women to touch. And so Jesus, you know, she's overcome with uh, joy to the point where social norms go out the window and she embraces him. And Jesus is saying, hey, I, yes, it's me, but back off. Because in the other the other things, he's telling men to touch him. He's saying, hey guys, you can touch me. Mm-hmm. You know, this is who I am. And culturally, 2000 years ago, it would have been inappropriate for men and women who are not married to interact that way. Even if you are married, you don't interact that way in public. Right. So- is there like a spiritual sense of him saying, don't hold on to me or anything? Like you need to let me go knowing that the Holy Spirit's coming. I know that that's foreshadowing. Yeah, no, here. absolutely. I mean, Jesus is going to go to the right hand of the father. And ultimately what it's about is regardless of how much we love, you know, Jesus, just like Peter says, I love you. I'm not going to let you be crucified. He says, get behind me, Satan. Ultimately what we have to submit ourselves to is the will of God. And the will of God is for Jesus to ascend. And so Mary, regardless of how you feel, there's a plan that's bigger than your feelings. There's a plan, there's a love that's greater than your love for me. So you need to release what you think you need for what God says you need. And what God is saying you need is you need to let me go. And here's the great crux for all of us, you know, in our life when we don't understand things. You know, Mary in her mind, right? What she needs more than anything is Jesus in her life. But ultimately for that to happen, Jesus has to leave. The Holy Spirit's gonna come down, the, the gospel's gonna be spread. And then one day Christ will return and we all get to be with him forever. So, you know, as believers, oftentimes the very things we're praying for, the very things we think we can't live without are the very things Jesus needs to take away from us so that we can have mm-hmm. what we ultimately need. So good stuff, man. Debbie, thank you for the question. Yeah, that was great awesome. Question. Okay, let's keep going. Um, then the whole next section here is Jesus is is joining these two guys who are walking on this road. They're leaving Jerusalem back to a place called Emmaus. In verses 17 through 19, it goes like this. Jesus asked them, what are you guys discussing so intently as you walk along? And the two men stopped short, sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there the last few days. 
What things? Jesus asked. So here, here, here's my question. Why, once again, is Jesus playing dumb with these guys? He was just being so aloof with Herod and Pilate uh, the last chapter, and now he's just kind of playing around with these two guys. What's what's going on? Yeah, I think clearly Jesus has a personality. I mean, I think that's one of the things. You know, it's hard. It's hard, just like in text. When you text somebody, it's try. It's it's hard to read emotion into the text. Okay, yeah. And so you know, think of this as texting, you know, God to us. It's hard to read that, but I think Jesus has a personality and he's messing with these guys a little bit. Um, But ultimately, you know, we cannot come to saving faith about who Jesus is unless God opens our eyes. Mm -hmm. It has to be a divine process where God opens our eyes to the reality of Jesus. And so, um, you know, but I think he's just, he's just teasing them a little bit. He's messing with them a little bit here, you know? And like I shared on the weekend messages, I think, you know, hey guys, what are you talking about? It's funny. It's hilarious mm-hmm. because Christ is risen and and he's right next to him and they still don't get it. Yeah, yeah. So these guys now are going to reply to Jesus and they basically start telling him all about himself. Verses 19 through 21, they're all, Jesus was a prophet who did powerful miracles and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. So these two guys describe Jesus in a lot of really honoring ways, but they never really say that he claimed to be God or anything like that. Should we be concerned about that since that's one of the key tenets of what we believe? Right. So, you know, no, we shouldn't be concerned. And so Luke is, again, what is Luke trying to move us in in, in Luke 24 to? All of these people don't get it. They don't get it. So now what they're saying is not is not false about Jesus, right? Jesus is a prophet. Jesus is mighty in word and deed okay. before God right. and all the people. He is, he is those things. Those are true statements. But if you said Matt Brown, Matt Brown's a pastor, you know, Pastor Matt, is, yeah. that, is that true of who I am? Yes. Yeah. yeah, but that's not all of who I am. I'm also a husband. I, I'm a father. I'm a friend. You know, a there podcast are other extraordinaire yeah, po- mm, podcast wizard. That's for sure. Podcast yeah. wizard. <laughs> so I'm also other things, and so you know, so calling Jesus a prophet is is a true statement, but it is not indicative of all that he is. It falls. It may be accurate, but it falls short of true accuracy in terms of everything that Jesus is. And so these disciples, right, they still don't get who Jesus is. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they're basically talking to the resurrected Jesus in a limited way because they're saying, well, we thought he was a prophet. We thought we thought he was the Messiah, but they still don't fully understand who the Messiah is. The Messiah is God's son. And so they're going to uh, ultimately understand that as, you know, God opens their eyes. Here mm-hmm. he is. Yeah. I guess in many ways too, this whole resurrection thing is kind of trying, is him putting his money where his mouth is, so yeah. to speak, like proving yeah. that he is uh, the more confusing things that he was saying when he was describing himself. Yeah, as I mean, no, the resurrection validates everything that he says. Mm-hmm. I am the way, the truth, and the life, John 14, 6. Jesus comes back from the dead because he is the life. Life is in him. Mm-hmm. You know, Colossians 1, everything has been created and is sustained through him. So he is the creator. He is the person who, you know, where all life has come from, which is, right, that's the great human question. Where did we come from? How did we get here? How did all of this happen? Jesus says, I am that answer. And so um, they don't fully understand or comprehend who he is, but, but they will. Pretty quickly here. Yeah. Yeah. So right after this conversation, it says, Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So what books of the Bible could we be reading or where can we look to see these things that Jesus is saying concern himself? Like, I know you've quoted some passages. Where can we find that? Absolutely. So there definitely are some specific passages. So I talked about the book of Isaiah. Isaiah talks about him. Mm -hmm. Ezekiel talks about him. The prophets talk about him. You know, Moses talks about him in... Uh, you know, Genesis and the book of Exodus. But ultimately, this is what we need to understand. It's not just, let me find the specific areas where Jesus is talked about. What Jesus ultimately saying is the Jewish Bible is in fact a Christian Bible. 
I am mentioned all throughout it. It is all about me. Maybe not specifically in every area, but the overarching picture is all about me. Me, it is written about me. It's written about my coming. It's written about my rule. It's written about my reign. It's written about you know how you can find forgiveness in me. And so that's what we need to understand is the Jewish Bible, the Hebrew Bible is in fact a Christian Bible because it is about the coming Messiah. And so what he's saying is, is it's all inspired and it's if you read it, it's directing you towards me. And so, you know, Isaiah 53 talks about, you know, the, the suffering Messiah, the suffering Christ. Um, Isaiah uh, 11 talks about the coming Christ. You know, he will be called uh, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace, right? Mm -hmm. These are the titles that he will bear. And on his shoulders, all of government will rest. And so it's talking about this coming king who can't be human. He He can't just be human because no man can carry all of these things. Ezekiel refers to him as the son of man. Same thing with Jeremiah, the son of man. He's going to come and and it's going to be dazzling. It's going to be amazing. You know, all of the prophets allude to him and some of them specifically speak about his coming. The first five books of the Bible, the Torah ends with the death of Moses. And it says, you know, basically that they're awaiting for someone like Moses to come. Yeah. And so Jesus is like Moses, which is where the book of Hebrews comes. And it says, he's not just like Moses, he's better than Moses. Mm -hmm. You know, because Moses experienced temporarily the glory of God. Jesus is the glory of God. And so that's what we need to know is it's all about Jesus. Hey, one of my very favorite resources on this whole idea is this children's Bible called the Jesus Storybook Bible. And as you can imagine, the whole thing is about helping you see how this whole big book and story is all about Jesus. And it goes through a bunch of the Old Testament stories and helps you see how they're pointing to Jesus and the work that he's going to do. So if you're interested at all in this, it's a great place, even for grownups uh, to grownups, I said, so even for adults, um, I have a little... You were talking about the Jesus Storybook Bible. It's It's a great place, a great resource, even for us grownups and big kids. Um, so, um, this kind of interaction with Jesus and where he's appearing to people, um, kind of ends and says, as they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. Suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And at that moment he disappeared. So, okay, maybe it's just me, but this seems really mean. Like finally they've been spending all this time with him. They're not sure who he is, but they're talking about Jesus. They have this moment where they realize they are sitting down about to eat with Jesus and he disappears. Like, why does he do that. Well, because ultimately all, all that they need to know at this moment is time is that he's alive, right? That's the most important information in the history of the world. He's alive. They've already received all of the teaching, right? He spent three years with them, teaching them, talking to them, walking with them, living with them, preaching. They have all the information they need. What they need to know now is he's alive. And so ultimately, what, what, what is the book of Luke and Acts about? It's about becoming messengers of the living Jesus. And so the information that they need to know in this moment is he is alive. And now they gotta go tell, which is what we need to do. And that's what's so sad about modern Christians is we come to faith in Jesus and we realize that he's alive and we don't tell anybody. Mm-hmm. And that's sin. Once we know that Jesus is alive, we need to tell people about this living, resurrected Jesus who was dead, but who is alive. And all those who put their faith and trust him, although they die, they too will live and be resurrected. So it's 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 not mean, it's just, it's the purpose of what's happening here is, and this is all happening on on Sunday, right? I mean, he's appearing all over the place mm-hmm. and, and he's, you know, he's got to make his rounds. <laughs> so uh, he's going to go now and appear to Peter. And mm-hmm. then ultimately they're going to go back and, and the disciples are going to, they're already going to know, you know, he's alive. He appeared to Peter and to these women. And oh my gosh, it's incredible. So yeah. that actually, I think puts interaction with Mary Magdalene in a little better context too, that clearly like she wanted to just stay with him, hold on to him, be with him. Like, that's what I'm thinking. That's what I would want in this right. moment. And instead he's like, 
telling her, like, I have to go, I have to ascend. And basically, sends, like that's what then frees her up to go and tell everyone that he's alive. Yeah, and I also think, I mean, I think it's a great point, Steph, is I think Jesus is not just mine. I think that mm-hmm. a lot of times we look at Jesus as my Savior, my, my Lord, and, and we, we so personalize him that we divorce him from his people. Yeah. And so ultimately, mm-hmm. I mean, right, when is the moment that they realize? When is the moment that God in Luke 24 opens their eyes? Do you guys see it? What, what's happening? He breaks bread with yeah. them. Mm-hmm. So according to the book of Acts, what is that process? It's the Lord's Supper. Mm-hmm. It's alluding to there's something special. There's a unique way we can experience God, not when we're by ourselves, but when we're with each other. And we're surrounded by the table and we're breaking bread and we are remembering what Christ did for us, not for you as an individual, but for us as yeah. his people and his family. And that's when their eyes are opened. And so that that's what God's about. God's not about saving you personally as much as he's about saving his family. Mm-hmm. He's gonna redeem his family. And so much of Western thought, Americanism, right? It's all about the individual. And this is why so many Christians are depressed and discouraged because God's not giving me my happy dream. And it's not about God fulfilling your dream. It's about him fulfilling his dream. And that's to have his whole family together on this new earth where sin and death and destruction are all taken away and we get to enjoy and be with him forever. And and that's the beauty and that's the, the ultimate promise of life. And so um, that's what's happening here. But I just think we need to notice these little clues that Luke is leaving us because in, right in Acts 2, which we're gonna read in two weeks, what do they do? What do they devote themselves to the breaking of bread? Mm-hmm. Why? Because that's when Christ is revealed. When we're around the table, we're sharing a meal, we're remembering his broken body and his sacrifice for us. There's beauty in that. Um, you know, there's not, Christ is not supernaturally present simply when we gather together. It's when we gather together in his name. What is the purpose of your meeting? You know, gathering together to watch, you know, the Cavaliers beat the uh, uh, Warriors last night. That's not, that's not, Christ is not specifically present in that thing. But when we gather together, not around the television set, but around him and his sacrifice and what he's done for us. In those moments, we can experience Christ in a powerful way. So incidentally, this is why we do communion the way that we do here at Sandals, right? Some churches, you go forward and a pastor or a priest will give you the elements of communion. Other churches, you might go to a corner and take it by yourself. Some churches, they'll pass it around like we do, but you just take it on your own. But I know for you, Matt, it's really important that we all hold on to it and we take it together, right? Yeah, for me, it's, you know, I'm I'm not super specific about, you know, a lot of things at Sandals, you know, we tend to be pretty loose in a lot of things. But one of the things that I'm very passionate about is we take the Lord's Supper together. We wait for each other. We participate in it together. And I think that's important because it's not just about you in that moment, right? Baptism is something that you do as an individual, but you are baptized not only into faith in Christ, but into his community and his church. And so we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And I think that that's something that's important. Cool. Okay, so this whole next section of this uh, the timeline is Jesus appearing with his disciples, and uh, he's meeting with them now in an upper room. And in verse thirty nine, he says, "Look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Touch me and make sure that I'm not a ghost, because ghosts don't have bodies, as you see that I do." So we've talked a lot about how we'll have these new perfect bodies in the new earth. Will Jesus always have those scars from the crucifixion? Yeah, so uh, somebody asked me that same question in the lobby, and, and my, hmm. my, my, my initial answer was yes, forever. And then as I thought about it— I hope your initial answer was, tune into this week's episode of The Debrief. Yeah, I should, that should have been my initial answer. You probably more were more comment. pastoral than yeah, me. Yeah, so I, clearly I was actually trying to help the person, oh, okay. so, yeah, yeah, oh. rather sense. than you know collect another listener. Got it. Listener. But um, he will at least have them throughout the millennial reign 
you know, the thousand year reign, it's spoken of in Revelation when he rules and reigns on earth for a thousand years. Um, he may have them forever. And like I shared on the weekend is, I think they're, they're trophies, they're trophies of his glory. Just like, you know, some of us are proud of some of the scars that we have, maybe not girls, but guys, right? Sure. We, we like the scars. Like I, I cut my calf, you guys can see with a chainsaw when I was 19. <laughs> right oh, there. Yeah. And I love telling that story because it's, it's pretty glorious, you know? It involves the word chainsaw. It's I get an it. awesome yeah. battle wound. You know, how'd you do that? It was a chainsaw. I cut my calf because I wasn't listening to my grandpa. Um, <laughs> he was telling me, don't cut the log that way. But um, uh, yeah, so it, that's a pretty cool story. And right, his scars, the holes in his hands and, and, and his, uh, his ankles are the greatest or feet are the greatest story of all time. Yeah, totally. And so he, you know, he, he bears them. And um, I think it's a beautiful thing. And so they're trophies of his glory. Um, they're, they're medals of honor that he has earned. Mm-hmm. And so he may keep them forever. And so I think that freaks some people out because they're like, wait a minute, I don't want all my scars. Well, you know, are your scars glory, you know, of your faithfulness to Christ? And if they're not, they'll probably be gone. Mm-hmm. So Okay, so Steve wrote in and he said, what is Jesus referring to when he's talking about ghosts? He says, I've read about angels having bodies. So is Jesus saying that there are lost souls roaming the earth. Yeah. What's interesting is, you know, before this podcast, no one's ever asked me that question. And as I, as I look at the text, it seems to be an affirmation that there are ghosts, but, you know, Jesus may not be speaking theologically. He may just be saying, look, I'm a real, I'm a, I, I am really resurrected. And so I think the emphasis on is that he is not raised as a spirit, mm-hmm. but he is raised in the flesh. And so um, the word ghost is another word for spirit. So like King James Bible refers to the Holy Spirit as the Holy Ghost. And so um, it doesn't necessarily mean that uh, these are people with spirits roaming around, but that these are spirits. And so what what I think he's saying is, I am not a spirit, okay. but I am a physical person who's been raised from the dead and his body is recognizable to them, but it's also glorious. It, this is his resurrected body. So it's not the same exact body that once was, but it has replaced that body. That body has somehow changed. Um, it's different. So he's recognizable, but he's different. And this body is glorious. It's eternal. It is without disease. It cannot die. And and that's the bodies that we're going to get. It is sustained by the love of God forever. It's, it's incredible. Got it. Okay. So verse 45, it tells us that Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And this is similar to what happened before when he was explaining the scriptures um, to the guys on the road. Here's what I'm wondering, is Jesus opening our minds some sort of prerequisite for understanding everything we read in the Bible? Yeah, ultimately. I mean, you can go to UCR and take an introduction to Christianity and and be taught by an expert, you know, in the Bible who does not believe. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, why is that? Their mind is not open to the reality of the truth of Jesus. Um, whether that's through, you know, God not opening their minds or their own personal rejection is, is, is another theological debate. But the reality is many people who are taught by professors at UCR are being taught by people who are ignorant. I mean, it's tantamount to me teaching you about the history of black people in America. I'm ultimately, right, I'm an observer, but I'm not a participant of that struggle. Christians mm-hmm. are participants of the struggle of Christianity. And we have a perspective that non-believers cannot have. And that's just the reality. And so, you know, we can't fully understand the truth of scripture without the spirit of God living in us, which is what's gonna happen in Acts chapter two uh, in two weeks. Uh, and which is why Jesus will tell them to stay in Jerusalem and to wait for the coming of the spirit because we need God's spirit to illuminate and bring to life these words. Like, so I'm holding, you guys can't on the, on that are listening on the podcast, you can't see me, but I'm holding up my Bible to you guys. You know, 
these words, like this ink on this paper, it's not, it's not magical. Mm-hmm. And that's what a lot of like magic is about, right? Incantation to saying things quickly or in order, you know, like the words like abracad. The, the Bible's not a magic book. What it is, is when a person reads these words that are illuminated from the perspective of God's spirit, they become a living truth, a living word. And so that's why people, some people have Bibles in their houses and you know, it doesn't change anything. Mm-hmm. And then other people read their Bibles and it changes their whole life because you need the spirit of God illuminating the truth of God. And so, um, you know, the words of Jesus must both be heard uh, with our physical ears and it's gotta be he- heard with our spirits. And the only way it can be heard with our spirits is through the power of the spirit of God. Only spirit can speak to spirit. And so God has to speak to us through his spirit. And so he had to open their eyes to the truth of the gospel. Okay, so I'm not just saying this because you're like my boss or something, but you've been doing an awesome job on this oh, podcast. You. Absolutely, really love it. Even just being on it, and I also listen to it every single week. People are writing in questions all the time about the Bible, and you're r- able to handle them uh, really well and give good, wise, reasonable responses. Has Jesus just like super opened up your mind to the Bible, or is there something else going on there? Yeah, so cle- clearly, right? So we're going to get into this when we get into the book of Acts, and ultimately, you know, I'm, I'm hoping this podcast will continue to run, thanks to our generous supporters, but we're going to get into like First Corinthians. So we'll hit Romans next year, then we'll hit First Corinthians and Second Corinthians, and both Romans and Corinthians deal with this idea of spiritual gifts. The Holy Spirit, right, illuminates all of us, but it also gifts us in different ways. And so I believe that the Holy Spirit has gifted me with wisdom, not like in life, like I'm not like the smartest person in the world, <laughs> but he has gifted me with wisdom according to his truth. Things make mm-hmm. sense to me that others miss. And I just think that that's, um, it's part of God's giftedness, um, just like you guys have giftedness that you have that I don't have, which again is why we need the whole church. We need the whole church together, working together, because some will have, when we get into the scriptures, some will have a word of wisdom. Some can discern spirits. You know, that's the spirit of God. That's your spirit. That's a demonic spirit. Some people have, you know, the gifts of hospitality and welcoming and loving people. Others have the gift of teaching. Others have the gift of singing and praying, believing. Some have the gift of giving, right? We get into all these gifts where we realize that God has placed us all together for the purpose of knowing him and experiencing his love. And so my contribution um, to the church, I think, is wisdom leadership and teaching. And those are my primary gifts that God has given me, but I don't have all the gifts. I mean, a great example is I think much of my wisdom that God has given me is never tapped into without your questions. Hmm. I, I will never even understand my own answers because I can't create those questions. So, right. The teacher is as in much of need as the student is the student is of the teacher in the church. We need each other and without each other, um, sometimes like you guys will ask me a question, I'll answer and I'll be like, wow, that was really good. But I never would have been able to come to that conclusion without your question. And so we, we need each other. The pastor both needs the church, like the church needs the pastor. God has designed us wow. for each other. And so, so thank you for that compliment. But you know, everybody has spiritual gifts and some people always say, well, I don't know my, my, my spiritual gift. Don't go take a test. You discover your spiritual gifts through the words of other believers. Other believers will tell you, I see this in you. And then you'll exercise those gifts and discover them ultimately within the context of the church. Because all of the gifts that we've been given, and this is not a talk at all in Luke 24, but all the gifts that we've been given, ultimately, uh, 1 Corinthians 13 and 14 say, are to serve the church. Mm-hmm. Not to serve yourself, but to serve the church. And you will never fully be illuminated with the presence of God until you submit your gifts to Jesus and say, serve them. You know, I love when we had David Platt at our church, I don't know, it was about a month ago. Mm-hmm. And he said that the call 
of the Christian by Jesus is to take your life and place it on the table and mm-hmm. say, do whatever you want with it. And I think in that moment, that's when God illuminates his gifts. And when we give ourselves completely over to God, God gives his giftedness completely over to us. And it's, it's not the same gifts. They're all gonna be different. Is, is part of this, and I'm trying to think of a way to encourage somebody who's maybe listening to all the episodes and all these things, and they still just have so many questions every week when they read. Is part of it just that due to the nature of your job, you spend a lot of time in God's word and reading Yeah, I mean, it's so, yeah, so I would say this. So it's not fair, right? I mean, you guys have to go to work, not you guys, this is your job, but people have to go to work and they're listening to this commuting and hopefully they don't feel bad. I mean, literally I spend about, you know, about three hours a week prepping just for your questions. I don't know what they're gonna ask, but I'm prepping, I'm studying, I'm reading, you know, I'm looking at what does the Greek say? If it's a, if it's a um, Old Testament question, I'm looking at the Hebrew, I'm looking at the manuscript evidence, I'm looking at all of these things so that I can be prepared to answer those questions. And that's just not, I, I don't think it's God's will that all of you become scholars, right? I think we have enough of those. What we need is people serving Jesus and trusting him and uh, and just trying to serve the local church. So. Um, you know, God's probably not going to call you to be the senior pastor of Sandals because we, we have one um, yeah. until, you know, God moves me on. We, we don't need another. So be who God's called you to be and, and learn from me. Um, you know, it's just like this. Like I can listen to our worship team sing. I can work really hard to be on stage and not be an embarrassment. But the reality is God has not given <laughs> me, God's not given me that giftedness. I mean, I think my ultimate singing talent would be to not be heard, to be faded into the background <laughs> some way and to be a worshiper of God in that way. So I need to not be jealous of those who are gifted in that manner. I just need to thank God for them because they lead me in worship. And same with the churches. You don't have to have the same gifts I do. Let me lead you in this act of worship through studying God's word. And so once we can not be jealous and envious of the giftedness that God has given others, but be happy with what we've received, um, you know, it's gonna be a beautiful thing. So, um, you know, that's one of the sins that'll be taken away when Christ comes is we won't be envious of the giftedness and talents of others, but we'll yeah, actually man. appreciate them for the reflection of God that they are. I need that. <laughs> yeah, same here. Um, I'm just kind of curious, going back to the whole topic of, you know, our minds being open to understanding the scriptures. Oh yeah, Luke 24. Yeah, back yeah, here thank in you. Luke 24. Thank you, Stephanie, for bringing yeah, us back bring to back the gospel around. of Luke. Um, so earlier in this chapter, Jesus kind of call, like calls the guys fools for not understanding what was written about him in the scriptures. But now we see later, he's just now opening their minds to understand the scriptures. Why, why does Jesus do that? Why does he actually get upset with them? Early? Well, there's two things. Number one, he's told them completely all the way through. So there's three specific times in the gospel of Luke, three specific times where Jesus references his death yeah. and his resurrection. Like he, he flat out tells them yeah. that this is going to happen. Peter rebukes him for it. I mean, that, that had to be a momentous moment in the lives of disciples when Peter is called Satan, right? It's, I mean, Jesus got a little upset. Yes. So they got to remember that moment. But so Jesus is frustrated with them, but ultimately what he's going to do, I mean, he's going to bless them with knowledge and he's going to open their eyes to the complete understanding. Because right, they, they know Jesus was a prophet. They said that, they know that he was mighty. Mm-hmm. They, 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 they know that he, that he did amazing things. So they recognize the truth of Jesus, but they can't put the pieces together. And so um, they miss the forest for the trees. And so now they're gonna see the forest. I love that saying. They're gonna see the complete picture of the forest yeah. because God is going to help them put these pieces together. And it's truly amazing. And they're gonna go from synagogue to synagogue arguing that Jesus Christ was in fact the Christ. And they convince in every synagogue, you know, believers everywhere. Right. Mm-hmm. So not all Jews believe, but a, a certain number of Jews believe at every synagogue. 
And so it becomes ultimately a split within Judaism, but Mm -hmm. um, that was unfortunate. How do we like kind of handle or care for people who know all these things and have been told about Jesus, been told about the Bible, but clearly their minds haven't been opened to really understanding it for what it is? Like, how do we navigate relationships with those people? Well, I'm not sure I know what you mean. That was a good, that was a deep question. <laughs> so let's say we have a friend who's grown up in the church, knows knows a lot about the Bible, knows the whole story of Jesus, knows all of this. Co-hosts a podcast with Co-hosts you. Co-hosts a podcast with yeah. you. Um, but clearly like their minds are not really opening. They're not really grasping and understanding who Jesus really is. What's our role or our responsibility as a believer to help them get to that point? Or is it really just a matter of we need to trust that God will open their eyes to understand it when he does? Yeah, I mean, ultimately, right? Unless God opens their eyes, let's go back to the professors at UCR. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm picking on UCR because it's our, it's our local it's university. Right across the hill it's right across I've the sat in yeah. classes exactly yeah. like that at UCR. And so, um, I mean, unless unless they're born again, right? The conversation with Nicodemus, who is Nicodemus? He is a teacher of religious law. And Jesus says, how see it? John chapter three. He says, how can you identify the weather, but you can't, you know, understand scripture and what I'm saying. And so here's a guy who should know everything. He's an expert. And the reality is he's a child when it comes to understanding faith. And so um, I think we need to be very, very aware that many of the people that we interact with, and we don't want to be judgmental, right? In the end, God will separate the sheep from the goats or Christ will. But many of the people that we we interact with on a regular basis, that we talk with, that, that, that serve at church, they're only here temporarily. They will fall away. It will happen because they're not born again. They have not been baptized with the spirit of Christ through repentance uh, and faith in Jesus. They have not had that change. They are not different. And that's why I try to say at Sandals, if Christ hasn't changed you, you need to ask the question, is he in you? Mm-hmm. And so becoming a Christian is not simply agreeing with some historical truths about Jesus. I mean, some people believe in Jesus the way they believe in Abraham Lincoln. Here's some things I can recite to you about Abraham Lincoln, but you are not a follower of Abraham Lincoln. And that's how they are with Jesus. They know some historical truths about him, but they are not a follower of him. And so let's just put this in perspective. Let's just talk about giving at Sandals Church. Now, not everybody is financially able to give, but about 25% of our church gives 90% of the offerings that come in. What does that tell you? Most people don't. Most people don't give. Why? Because giving doesn't always equate to belief. But are you going to give sacrificially to something that you, you're you not? No, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, most people. And so that just shows you, even within the context of sandals, um, you know, we have many people who are, you know, talking the talk, trying to walk the walk, but the reality is they're not saved. They're not born again. And they haven't come to the place where they have truly accepted the depths of their sin and the greatness of God's grace that is found in Christ Jesus. And we just need to understand that. And so what I do, Stephanie, sometimes, you know, and my wife and I have these conversations, I'll say, you're talking to this person in our church, in our small group. It could be your child. I mean, yeah. right? I don't know ultimately if my three children are gonna follow Jesus, no. but we have this talk all the time with my wife and I. I have a family member who claims to be a Christian. I have a friend who claims to be a Christian. And I, and I say, you are operating under the illusion that this person is born again. They're not acting like a born again Christian. They're not responding like a born again Christian, right? They're not thinking like a born again Christian. And what does a Christian do? A Christian has a passion to, to, to live their life thinking, acting, and feeling like Jesus. And if they don't think like Jesus, they don't feel like Jesus, and they don't act like Jesus, they are probably not a follower of Jesus. So, and again, it's not about perfection, but it's about direction. What is the direction of their life? You know, I'm not perfect. I am not. But if you come to me, if one of you two come to me and you say, Matt, I feel like you're sinning in this area, 
I might not respond initially in a Christ-like way, but usually what's going to happen is I'm going to come back and say, you know what, you're right, I'm wrong, and I'm sorry, will you forgive me? That's mm-hmm. usually what happens. Um, because I love Jesus. I love Jesus. He died for me on the cross, and I want to live for him and live like him. And I think that's mm-hmm. that's that's the, the missing piece. People say, oh, I live for him. Okay, then you need to live like him. Because the greatest gift that we can give to God is our obedience. Mm-hmm. Jesus asked this question, why do you why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? Yeah. And the answer is because I'm not your Lord. So uh, we just need to, and again, Stephanie, we need to operate with grace and love and compassion. We don't want to, we don't want to become legalists and judgmental, right? Because then we create all these check boxes of who's a Christian and who's not a Christian. And we're all sinners. We're all saved by grace. But when you see people um, just nasty and mean and awful and ugly, okay, don't, you know, in First Corinthians, Paul says, treat them like an unbeliever. And mm-hmm. I think that's important. Because ultimately what we do when we assume that people are in fact born again Christians, you know who we judge? We don't judge the person, we judge God. And we say things like this, how could God be as good as he says he is when he lets his people act like this? Hmm. And what I, this is what I just actually emailed this to a person in our church who I think is leaving Sandals because of some uh, some of the behaviors of people in our church, her Hmm. perceived behaviors of the people in our church. I said, don't judge God by the behavior of his people judge God by the behavior of Jesus because Jesus is the only accurate representation of the heart, feelings, and thoughts of God. So whenever I'm stabbed in the back, lied to, gossiped about by people who call themselves Christians, I can't judge God based upon them. I can judge God based upon Jesus. Yeah. So, and good luck being critical of God based upon life of Jesus. (laughs) Thanks for letting me kind of take that little tangent there. Okay, I just want to note that she hijacked it a little bit. I there. did. Yeah. yeah. It's so normally you bring often, it back, but, but that yeah. time you brought the rabbit trail. Boom. So thank you. I think it was worthwhile. It was. It was um, so in verses 46 to 48, um, it says, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed to all the nations and you are witnesses of all these things. When he's saying that, does he mean that they've witnessed these things happen already or that they've witnessed the beginning of these things happen, like the message being proclaimed to all the nations. Yeah, so they're witnesses of the resurrection and they're going to be participants in the uh, explanation of this resurrection. Okay. So what, what he's saying is, again, so who's he writing to? Theophilus, we have to go back to Luke 1. Mm-hmm. So what he's saying is, Theophilus, all of these people who have told you about the resurrected Jesus are eyewitness accounts. They personally saw Jesus, okay? And- you know, when we go into 1 Corinthians, I believe it's 15, it's called the Kergama, which we'll get into that, oh, okay. which is the earliest known statements of the gospel. Right, okay. So what is the earliest known statement of the gospel? And so Paul runs through it. Jesus Christ was resurrected, appeared first to Peter, then to the 12, then to James, uh, Jesus' brother, who's the bishop of the church in Jerusalem mm-hmm. who writes the book of James, uh, then to 500 at one time. So Jesus appears multiple times. He appears in Jerusalem. He appears in Galilee. He appears in the morning. He appears in the afternoon. He appears at night. He is all over the place. He's making his rounds, which is why he wants fish tacos. So <laughs> I don't blame him. Yeah. Okay, so Jesus has told us that he will not return until all the nations have heard this message. And Michelle's group wrote in, and they are asking, if Jesus won't return until everyone has heard the gospel, what happens to those who pass away without hearing the gospel? Are they held accountable? Right. And so this is what I would say, and this is going to be controversial. And so who is this that asked this question? Michelle and her group. So Michelle, this is this is going to be terrifying. But she's asking, are the people who've never heard the gospel going to be held accountable? The people who are going to be held accountable 
for them never hearing the gospel is me. Hmm. It's you and it's you. So the judgment that is awaiting those people who've never had the chance to respond to the gospel falls on the church. And so what's interesting is we're worried about those people who've never heard about Jesus. And what we need to be worried about is us because we failed to be obedient to the call of Christ. Why haven't they heard? It's not because of God, it's because of us, our selfishness, our self-focus, our lack of giving, our lack of love. And so we're, we're going to be held account. That falls upon us. And again, go back to Luke chapter 12, the disobedient servants. One's ripped to sheds, one's beaten severely, one is beaten mildly, which is what I think you'll get, Justin, the mild beating. So, yeah. No, I'm, I'm teasing. I hope that I hope that you get rewards. Um, you know, which once again we get in First Corinthians, we will face you know this judgment um, where all of our righteousness is judged by fire. We will walk through fire, and Paul says some of us will experience loss, like the things that we thought were awesome are burned. And it's not that we're going to hell, but the Bible says God is an all-consuming fire, and so to enter into His presence, we have to enter into His holiness. And as we walk through that you know, our life and the things that we think, right? The trophies of our life, only gold and the precious metals survive. Everything else, the straw, the hay, it all burns away. So now back to her question, right? Which I have not answered. Ultimately, those people will stand before a just judge, the living Christ and whatever judgment he renders, is it's his, it's his judgment to make. He has earned the right because of his suffering death to proclaim whatever verdict he wants. So this is what I would say. And a lot of pastors won't agree with me on this, but I don't care if they have, they have the right to be wrong. Christ can save whoever he wants to save. He can redeem whoever he wants. The thief on the cross, he wasn't baptized. Yeah, Jesus doesn't ask our permission. Yeah. He says, today you will be with me in paradise. So Jesus is the righteous judge. He is the good judge. And he can, he can, he can render whatever judgment he wants to on the day of judgment. Here's the promise. The promise is for all those who've repented of their sins, placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we will be saved. That's the promise. If, you're, if you've not repented of your sins and you've not placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you stand at the mercy seat of God and whatever happens, happens. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's, that's what I would say is, uh, and the overwhelming tone of the gospel is do not bank on mercy, expect judgment. Totally. So, and the reason you're saying that we are going to be held accountable for this, right, is because I'm, I think like the very next chapter we'll hit next week is Acts chapter one, verse eight. Jesus is telling us as the church, go and tell everyone, go and tell everyone. Is that right? Is yeah. That, that's why. Yeah. That's and, and, and we need to, to understand, we need to understand, you know, there, there are, there is generations of Christians who have lost lives, who have lost their livelihood, who have been persecuted. Even in the world today, there are people, um, who are being shot and killed because they want to tell others about Jesus. Right. Um, this is happening all over the world. And so we need to understand that people have gone to great lengths so that like I have my Bible in my hand, you know, William Tyndale, you know, was was put to death because he translated, yeah. he translated the word of God into a language that people could actually read. He died for that, mm-hmm. gave his life so that we could just read, you know, the book that sits on our shelf that's, that's never there. You know, in many countries today, you can get in trouble. You know, um, we had people got in trouble for giving Bibles to people in a country just a couple months ago, almost got arrested. We just need to understand that that people have gone to great lengths so that we can be saved. The least that we can do is rally together as a church 
to try to come together so that we can send people to tell the gospel. And that's why ultimately we're trying to send a hundred people to India so that they can hear the gospel and know that they are saved by Jesus and because of his love. Good stuff. Okay. There's just five more verses. Left. I thought you were going to say questions. I oh, was no. like, wow. No, no. Five more verses here. And <laughs> and here's, here's where we're getting winding down. Verse 49, Jesus says, now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my father promised, but stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. So I think we're going to talk more as we get into Acts about what it means that Jesus is sending the Holy Spirit. But why is he telling them to wait and stay in the city of Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit? Because they need to be empowered. And so, um, you know, any ministry not done by the power of God is done in the power of self, and it will not it will not work. So, Sandals Church has not been built on the power of Matt. It's been built on the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, I mean, th- think about the church, right? Tammy and I came here from Huntington Beach, no money, no, no nothing. We had absolutely nothing. How, how is Sandals Church here today? It is because of the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit um, has moved mightily and moved powerfully in the lives of people and changed souls brought finances, built buildings. God has done all of that. And without God, we can do nothing. And so what, again, he's writing to Theophilus and what's he trying to tell him? This organization called the church is not being built on the strength of people. It is being built by the power of God, the resurrection power of God. Um, And so we're gonna see that in Acts 1, Acts 2, and we're gonna jump into the Holy Spirit. So Jesus Christ is going to ascend and go to the right hand of the Father. And he's gonna send the third person of the Trinity, which we can talk about in the next couple of weeks. Um, because as Christians, we worship one God who exists in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they operate together in the economy of God to accomplish the mission of God. And so they all have a role, but they are all co-equal with each other forever and through all eternity. And somehow it, it, it doesn't make sense that there's one God who exists in three persons. Um, but that's why people who believe in multiple gods, that is a, um, a misunderstanding of the true nature of God. Yeah. So I could be wrong here, but I'm trying to place myself just in the shoes of these disciples, like thinking through this. I, I could be wrong. I don't remember Jesus talking a lot about the Holy Spirit so far in the book of Luke. Do you think these guys have an, do they have any idea what Jesus is saying? Or are they just going to be hanging out in Jerusalem being like, uh. Yeah, no, I, 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 I would not agree with you. I do think he talked about it. So Jesus, right. Uh, I think it was Acts 4, Acts 5, or excuse me, Luke 4, Luke 5. It says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. Yep. So um, you're going to see this. Peter will preach full of the Holy Spirit. You're, you're going to see this, this idea over and over again that everything Jesus is doing is by the power of the Spirit. And so we could actually, for our next podcast, we can talk about the specific instances because I need to look them up and circle them, but they're all throughout the gospel of Luke. And you're right. The Holy Spirit is not yet center stage. Jesus is. So Jesus is going to fade and the Holy Spirit is now going to take center stage. We live in the realm and the age of the Spirit. The Spirit empowers the church. The Spirit strengthens the church. The Spirit ministers to the church. You know, the Holy Spirit helps us do everything that we do. Um, And so what's amazing about the Holy Spirit and the reason there's so much confusion about the Spirit is the Holy Spirit does not glorify himself, but he glorifies Jesus. Mm -hmm. In the same way, who does Jesus glorify? The Father. He doesn't glorify himself. And so that's just one of the characteristics of God is not self-glorification. It's, you know, they're just constantly giving credit to each other. It's the perfect family. It's the perfect, you know, uh, I don't know if symbiotic is right, but the perfect unifying person. Yeah. Somehow distinct, but unified. And, um, you know, it's a beautiful thing. Cool. So Luke wraps up, um, it says that while Jesus was blessing them, he left them and was taken up to heaven. So did Jesus kind of leave in the middle of blessing them by choice? Was he like taken up in the same way that he doesn't know when he's returning? He didn't know when he was going to be taken up. 
How did that work? No, no, he, he left by choice. So he's ascending. So this, this very same uh, story is going to be told again in, um, in Acts chapter one. And so you need to remember this. So Luke is 24 chapters, which you know, is about the biggest length of a scroll you can get. So you look at you know, Luke, um, John, and Matthew, they're all about the same length. So we don't know what happened to the ending of Mark. And so Mark has various endings. So we don't know if it was damaged in a fire, if it was lost. Hmm. Nobody knows what happened to the end of Mark. You know, the scroll could, think about it. So the end of the, the uh, scroll would have been on the outside. So it was damaged in some way. Hmm. And so we just, we just don't have that. Um, so that's why Mark ends kind of funky because nobody, nobody knows what to do. And so somebody tried to create a summary of it, um, of the book of Acts to end Mark, but it's just weird. So. Luke has got to summarize, but he's also got to talk about the ascension of Jesus in case the second scroll is lost or they don't get it. So it's kind of like a, a quick summary. A but once we jump to Acts chapter one, you're going to see the specifics of how he ascended and where he ascends in front of the disciples. But no, he did it voluntarily. Okay. So just a side, that reminds me of like, you know, all the Marvel movies where they show you at the end of the credits. It's like, here's a little teaser of what's coming next. Yeah. Like it's a teaser. Luke left a little teaser. Because remember, it's a two volume set. Yeah, but they're separate scrolls. Okay, so as we close out, so it's interesting. We call it books of the Bible. It's really the scrolls of the Bible, because we don't have scrolls anymore. We have books. Scrolls of the Bible sounds like a like a documentary that would be on Netflix. Um, so as we close out the Book of Luke, I mean, just looking back, what do you feel like? What's kind of the big theme? Things that we should be thinking about, looking at that Luke was trying to communicate here to us. Yeah. So here, here's the gospel, and and this is so important. You know how how are you saved? You must repent and believe in Lord Jesus Christ. So then we get to Acts and the the outward sign of inward repentance and inward faith is baptism. So repent of your sins, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the word repenting means to tell God you're sorry for your sins and to turn from your sins. And so the question is, because John preaches, right? The gospel of repentance. So the good news of repentance. And so what does that mean? God will allow you to say you're sorry. That's the gospel of John. But then we have Jesus who really uh, brings the whole gospel together, who truly gives you the good news, um, is you say you're sorry to God and you turn from your sin. How do you do that? By turning to Jesus. So you turn away from yourself. So what does it mean to be a Christian? You no longer live for yourself, but you live for Jesus. And then what do we do is, we so baptism is like a wedding ceremony. We invite all our friends, we invite all of our families to publicly declare, I am a follower of Jesus. And that's what baptism is. And so Luke is trying to teach us that if you haven't changed your lifestyle, you, you, you probably have not been changed. And so it's this turning of, and so for all of us who've been raised in the church and we're basically Christians because our mom and dad dragged us to church, <laughs> we need to ask the question, have I become a follower of Jesus Christ? Have I repented of my sins? Um, have I turned from my sins and turned to Jesus? Because oftentimes many people haven't yeah. and they need to do that. And, um, and then I need to be baptized as a believer. And that's why we don't baptize children at, at Sandals Church because mm-hmm. they need to be aware of their sin and they need to be aware of who Jesus is. And so once they get to an age where they can articulate their sin and what that means, and they can articulate Jesus and what his forgiveness means, then they're, and they believe in that, they're ready to be baptized. Mm-hmm. So, so that's the gospel of Luke. Repent, believe, be baptized. Repent, believe, be baptized. And you're gonna see that over and over again. And so in America, baptism is not nearly a big deal, but like in the Muslim world, when you're baptized, oftentimes that's a death sentence. Yeah, totally. So we had a guy in um, East Africa. We, have, we, we had missionaries there, but he gave his life to Christ. And when he was baptized, his wife poisoned him. 
his own wife hmm. because he had converted from mm-hmm. his old life of Islam yeah. to his new life in Christ. So it's powerful. Yeah. It's, yeah. Well, man, this is really good stuff. Thank you to you guys who are so faithful. You listen every single week, supporting the show, all those things. Super, super awesome. Listen, if you heard we, uh, a bunch of weird traffic sounds in the background, we heard some trucks drive by, some motorcycles. I think somebody was honking out there to pick somebody else up for lunch, maybe a date. <laughs> Not really sure what was going on, but uh, we sorry about that. Here's, here's one cool thing. Because of your generosity and the generosity of a lot of people who've committed to support um, just the reach and expansion of Sandals Church, we actually have some cool new offices that are going to be opening up um, here at our Sandals Church uh, offices. And uh, right now we're just recording in the only room we, we have available to us, but in the new space, uh, Pastor Matt's going to have an office up there and it should be a little bit quieter and those kinds of things. So we can hopefully Im- improve the podcast in that particular way. We thank you for guys for sticking us out with it uh, in the meantime. And we're super appreciative, appreciative of uh, your generosity. If you are just listening to the show and you want to help support, man, we would totally appreciate that. You can go to sandalshirt.com slash give and uh, support the show. If you got questions you want to get on here, you've been reading the book of Acts and you're all excited. Maybe you're doing the She Reads Truth Instagram devotion and you're ready to get some more questions in here. Head on over to sandalshirt.com slash the debrief, ask a question, follow us on Facebook, ask a question, however it is you want to do it. You make it happen. But before we go and transition out of the book of Luke, we got to hit you, Pastor Matt, with one more inspirational quote. We're going to get your feedback on this one. Stephanie, you got a good one? I do. This actually got handed to me in the lobby after church the other day. I was just on a little piece of paper. And it says, today That's is... an inspirational moment, not that was, just a quote. It was both an inspirational moment, and now I'm bringing it as Here an it inspirational is. quote. Thank you for the mystery provider of future I know. It was a very nice lady. I didn't get her name, though. Thank you. I should Thank have. Thank you, lady. We appreciate you. Um, the maybe quote it was says, an angel. Maybe it was an angel. She has really nice handwriting. Could be. Yeah. Uh, I think says, angels would have nice handwriting. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. Too. Even even the guys, even the male angels. Oh, yeah. absolutely. All right. Are you guys actually ready for the quote yes. now? Okay. Today is the tomorrow you were waiting for yesterday. That's brilliant and beautiful. Mm. Whoa, you. I'm still trying to understand what they just said, and you have you already like proclaimed it brilliant. No, I don't even think repeating yeah, just, it's going to help me understand. Just digest them in your mind so for a while. There's so many levels of uh, time travel going on in that one little thing. Don't worry, dude. You're JV for Jesus. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Days oh. of future past. I don't understand this. Yeah. Yeah. All we have is now. That's really what it's saying. No. All we have week. is now. Save, th- save that for next week's podcast. That was cool. Yes. That was, I think that's my favorite one. Yeah. Mm. Maybe it was an angel. Dude, my, my cousin works for the Blizzard company that makes the World of Warcraft games and all oh, that other stuff. Oh, I was thinking Dairy Queen. No, no. <laughs> no, I'm the one thinking about food. What has happened? <laughs>